The Providence College Friars. Top for the crossover. The Big East. The rest of the college hoops world. Setting the screen. Dunn twisting his way in. This is the Providence Crier Podcast. With your host, a PC grad standing in at four feet tall. He is the Providence Crier himself, Mike Surratt. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Province Crier Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Surratt, the Province Crier. Follow me on Twitter, that's at Province Crier. Read our blog, theprovincecrier.com. Join with me as always, we have BOC. Follow him on Twitter, at BOC all day. Today is Wednesday, December 21st. And uh, BOC, I'm exhausted still. Still exhausted from Providence's victory over number 24, Marquette. On Tuesday night, PC gets the W, 103 to 98, double overtime. You'll see, anytime we match up with Marquette, something crazy seems to happen. Yeah, I was, I was just waiting for John Xavier to walk on the court, just to cap it all off at the end. Um, <laughs> we wrote about it in the article, the bat game in Marquette, yeah, the Blizzard game last year, Mr. Xavier walking onto the court. I, it just never fails with Marquette. And, uh, you know, last night, Last night held to the test of time, and it's going to be one of the classics for years to come. And the Devontae Gardner game. Don't forget that one. When he hit the half-court shot. I think that was a double overtime game, too. Oh, yeah. yeah I think I've or known That was at the end of regulation or end of the first overtime. I'm not sure. But, yeah, every every Marquette game seems to somehow be memorable, and this was certainly one of them. Um, you know, where do we begin here? I mean, I guess the, the Friars came out pretty good in this one. Built an eleven point lead, but um, you know I I was there obviously, but but I came back and rewatched the broadcast and um, gave up a ton of easy looks drives to the hoop. Yeah, it was, but it, uh, yes, a lot of easy drives to the hoop, and I think our screen defense, our pick and roll defense, which we talked about, like this wasn't a surprise to us, was a concern. But I, you know, I lo- I know you like this saying that I have. It's like they they have scholarships on their end too. Um, they were making really difficult shots that you just kind of like tip your cap to them. Like think about the um the Joplin the the double clutch to go into double overtime. I believe he double clutched that and still made it over Carter and Hopkins. I think like they made plays and in the second half they were making everything. And it's a testament to the toughness of this team that they were able to get it to overtime and they were able to win in double overtime because after that first overtime, I thought. It was a wrap because we gave that one away in the first overtime. Well, so here's the funny thing, and we'll get into all of it, but, um, you know, you say that, and in the text group, you you guys and a few others were freaking out about, you know, PC being up 8, 80, 80, I believe it was, in the first OT session uh, with about, like, two and a half minutes left. And then next thing you know, it's 89, 89, we're heading to the second overtime. Um 
you know, had we lost that game, I mean, it's easy for me to say this now. I mean, I, I bet we would obviously complain about throwing it away. But for Providence to get that game in the overtime to begin with was no short of a miracle. I mean, they couldn't get any stops. I believe with five minutes left in the game, ESPN gave them a Marquette, a 92% win probability. They were up like nine. And I mean, even if they lost that game, obviously we're singing a different tune. We're upset about it and we're upset that they blew it. But to come back from that deficit, I thought was pretty damn impressive. It was impressive. Um, And if you're a Marquette fan, you're probably saying, how the heck did that game get to overtime? Um, But it doesn't it doesn't eliminate the fact that we, this is a concerning trend where end of game situations, we continue to just crap down our leg. Like, and it's somebody like new, like Carter, Carter, that turnover was a bad turnover. Like I get, he's not a ball handler, so you can like at least give him a pass, but then to compound it by fouling Kolick and getting him to the line, Kolick misses a free throw, which is weird, but then we tip it off and they get the ball again. Like that was a four point swing and eliminated 30 seconds of killing time. Like, then Bynum the next turn time around turns it over. It's just really poor basketball end of games. This happened against Ryder. St. Louis, we fell apart. Um, it almost it almost happened against Seton Hall. Like I like I there's a lot of positives from this game, but the one negative is like we need to get the ball out of Bynum's hands at the end of games because he just can't he can't perform under pressure. But here's the thing, like I wouldn't go that far. Uh here's the thing though. I I do think that. You know, last year we talked about how good they were at closing out games, but they made some similar mistakes, dude. But they just found a way to win. And all of a sudden, new team, ton of new transfers. Seems pretty damn similar at this point. Yeah, they, they keep finding ways to win. Um, that That's true. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't mean to be doom and gloom. I think that's like, if you want to talk about the one negative of the game, that and like the defensive play, those are the only two things that like jump out to me. The rest is like an overwhelming success. And the fact that, like, you know, everybody knew about how good Bryce Hopkins was in the Providence circle. Now everybody knows in the Big East, maybe even nationally, the guy's playing himself into first-team All-Big East, potentially Big East Player of the Year, potentially All-American. Like, he's playing that uh, well right now. Yeah, I was, I was going to take it a step further. If he continues to play like this, BOC, and if Providence is winning games, I think you got to have a serious conversation that he could be – Definitely not. He could be in the Raptors. He could be in the Raptors. Well, no, I'm saying like he could be in the the thought for for wooden player of the year. That's what I think. That's too far for sure. That's what what I mean. Yeah. So, um, I mean, obviously, Providence would have to get on on a win streak here and be you know pretty nationally relevant. But like the way he's playing, man, unbelievable. Like it it was awesome to to witness um, you know a career night like that. The first 2020 game uh, for a Friar in Big East play since Greedy Peterson, I believe. Yep. And then yeah, our guy, Greedy. Uh, and then I think it's the hopefully, only the third in program history. Hopefully he doesn't follow the official visit uh, routine of Greedy Peterson as well. Yeah, let's – yeah, yeah. <laughs> Greedy's hosting tactics uh, were a little questionable apparently. But, um, but it was the third 2020 game in Friar history. The other – Herb Hill, class of 07, who was in the building last night, too, oddly enough. So, um, dude, just a massive, massive game for him. He took 14 shots in that 29 points. Like, he was just bowling his way to the hoop. He was relentless on the glass, uh, just following his own misses. Like, 
He is unguardable. I've been saying it. Dude, the only, I, I can't wait to see him, like, I want to see him go up, go up against, everybody says, like, Andre Jackson is one of the best defenders in the Big East, potentially nationally. I want to go see him go up against him, because I actually do think he'll get the better of him, no questions asked. Like, the guy is a strength and a bull down low, and he can get the step on you. Um, He's just, he's like a really rare player. I can't really... Like, who does he remind you of a past Providence player? I can't really think of one. Like, he's a Providence, really... past Providence players. I, I don't have one. Um, yeah, like, like he's a he's a stronger and Ben Bentiel was springier, but he's a stronger and more athletic version of Ben Bentiel. If that makes sense, like, yeah. No, so, well, so the difference is, I mean, Ben uh, Bentiel was definitely. I'm saying his name wrong, but whatever. Um, was definitely more of a perimeter-oriented player, I think. I mean, he took a ton of threes. Not that Hopkins doesn't take threes and doesn't make threes, even though he didn't. He was 0 of 2 in this game. Um, but his his post moves are just way more defined, way better footwork. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a good comparison. But I mean, like I told you from when we started rec- recruit uh, covering this guy in the recruiting scene at a high school, guy reminds me of Tobias Harris at Tennessee. And I, 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 I know a lot. Of, I say that, and a lot of people are like, "Tobias is like a wing player." Like, what are you talking about? Watch Tobias Harris at Tennessee, and, yeah. and you know, come back to me and say I'm wrong because similar players. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good comp. Um, he just continues to impress. Like beyond beyond Hopkins. Croswell had another whale of a game, which we, you know, in the preview article, we predicted that. We said this is, if they want to win, I think, like, you call a I think, holistically, like, Marquette's a better team than us, the way they're built and everything like that. Where we have an advantage is in the front court. And for us, we called in the preview, for us to win the game, they need to dominate the one area where they have an advantage, and that's the physicality in the front court. And they did that, exemplified by the free throws. Like, it was... Shaka Smart and Kolick complaining about the free throw discrepancy is sour grapes to me. Like, the reason why we got to the line so many times, again, this is like kind of a backhanded compliment to Marquette, and I guess to Providence too, is Igodaro and Prosper are more athletic than Croswell. So they can finish and go up and under. Croswell can't do that, so he initiates contact. Same with Hopkins. He looks for contact, and that's why we're getting to the line. And when you get 15 more rebounds in a game, you're going to have more opportunities, which means more shot attempts. And that's why there's so many different, so many more free throw attempts. So that to me was like a little bit of a BS excuse. Like, again, I try to be overly objective with refs. I didn't walk away from that game even thinking, like I didn't know about the free throw discrepancy. I didn't walk away from that. I didn't walk away from that game saying like, oh man, this is home cooking. Like, so to see that like kind of opened my eyes a bit in a weird way. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think that was an issue at all in the game. Marquette fans are probably biased and, you know, I think we're blowing smoke, but no, I, I, I err sometimes too much on the side of like anti-providence when it comes to refs. And I didn't think about that at all. So here's the deal. I, I, I'm all about transparency. So, so I'll be real with you guys. Um, if it was reversed, I might've complained. However, Watching that game when I was there and then rewatching the tape further solidified this. There's a reason why Marquette didn't get to the line much. Their offense was predicated on the perimeter. And then, yes, they scored a lot in the paint, but a lot of those were drive one on one drives where they blew by their man and had, yeah. 
had easy layups, like uncontested layups and dunks. They they didn't they didn't have as many free throws because their offense was more efficient than ours. Like that's that's kind of why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's true. And like, so like, it, that that's exactly it. And, and on top of that, Marquette got in the double bonus in the second overtime, or excuse me, in in regulation in the second half with like seven or like five minutes left in the game, seven minutes left in the game. So then when you're playing in the double bonus. Um, you know, for, for 15, 20 minutes, like that's a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, you're going to get fouled and you're going to go to the line because of that. Um, and he, I mean, even Lapis said it on the broadcast. He was like, with, with Hopkins, like you, you can't guard him. He's, he's going to either score or get to the line or both. So nothing you can do. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that is, while it is an alarming number when you look at 49 compared to, to 19 um I, I think if you watch the tape you, you would realize okay there was a reason for that and it's weird because shocker kind of even admitted like like i tell my guys to be violent and today bryce hopkins was violent so like you're literally admitting that he was seeking contact attacking the rim with authority and yet you're going to turn around and complain about the whistle yeah that was kind of weak in yep. my opinion there. But um all right, let's let's get some other uh players in, in the game as a whole. So uh let's go on the Marquette side. Tyler Kolick, the Cumberland native, had a career night in terms of scoring, I believe. Uh twenty-nine points, um and uh five rebounds, three assists on eleven of fifteen from the floor. He was pretty much everything for that Marquette team. He fouls out in the second half, uh, or excuse me, in the second overtime. Um, for me, though, I wonder if that was a part of the game plan. I know that's like kind of like big brain, like, oh, like, you know, you see this a lot with the Pats. Like a lot of Pats fans are like, oh, Belichick did that on purpose to, yeah. to give him like a false sense of hope that they could do something. Honestly, though, like, I wonder if the game plan was to let Cole get his and not be the facilitator that he normally is. Well, because he only has three assists. No. And on top of that, the scouting report is, was what? Forced him right, right? They were saying all broadcast long. And what happened that game? We allowed him to go left the entire game. And we allowed him to get cooking. So, I like, <laughs> yes, it could be the players just didn't pay attention to that and just let it happen. But I'm curious because – I feel like that Marquette team is better when he isn't shoulder shouldering scoring luck. And he only averages eight points a game. Yeah, I mean, look at look at last year when um when we got boat raced in Marquette, the he had nine assists. I think he had like three or four points. It wasn't anything crazy. But they beat up they manhandle us. And then in the second game where we won 65-63, Kolick, I think, had fifteen, um, fifteen points, but he had zero assists or maybe one assist. I forget what it was. And it was very clear that in the second game, they said, let Kolek get his. And I think they replicated that uh, last night. I don't think they expected him to go for 29, nor do I think they expect him to be as efficient as he was. It almost, you know, bit us a bit and probably should have in the second half. Um, but I I do agree with you. I think that was a strategy in saying, hey, let's give, let's let Kolek try and beat us. And if he does beat us, good on him. And he almost did. Um, 
he was, you know, probably besides Hopkins, the, the best player on the court. Yeah. Um, I will say part of seeing all, or excuse me, Marquette's demise though, was he got real loose with the ball late in the game. Yeah, that was weird. Real loose. That was weird. Yeah. Um, he ends up with five turnovers on the night. Um, and he had a couple critical ones. One of them, um, that I called the, I texted you, it was the Cumbly Fumbly, uh, where he, he, he thought he had contact at first. I believe it was on Hopkins. Uh, he thought he had some contact and then he like went to a dribble move and just lost the handle. We got the steal. Um, but then, so yeah, so you thought his turnovers would have doomed Marquette in the first overtime and the end of regulation, but then he came back with vengeance uh, towards the end of that first overtime and gets them back in the game. Um, you know, he, post game, you know, he, he was emotional about playing back in province and, and you can tell he definitely wants to get one here. No doubt about it. Like he definitely wants to win a game here and we were leaving and I asked my buddy Joe, uh, our friend Joe, you know, do you think Cole is ever going to get one here? Cause like, I thought he would have tonight. Like if it was going to be any night, it would have been tonight or Tuesday night, but uh, well, didn't happen. They again, they're four sophomores and a junior starting. Um, so he's got what two more chances? Two more chances. Yeah, I, I, I like his odds. <laughs> I think. Yeah, maybe. I, I think. <laughs> like you look at that game though, it's like if you couldn't get it done then, point that points. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um. But, you know, he spoke about the crowd. You know, he had a great group of supporters. And then he kind of mentioned about the province fans. He said, you know how they are. So, you know, I really hope they weren't too, too hard on him. It wasn't like a situation where we booed him every time he touched the ball. We did boo him in introductions. Uh, we booed him a couple times on his hoops. Uh, big ovation when he fouled out. <laughs> but I, mean, I think that's part of the territory. I just hope prior fans were – at least respectful um, to his family and, and that, that that group of fans that, that were supporting him in the stands. And I bring that up because last night was the return of the Christmas rave, BOC. Uh, everyone got those bracelets that light up and they do the Christmas halftime spectacular, like EDM style Christmas rave. It's uh, <laughs> the only way I know how to describe it. It was kind of funny. I was thinking to myself, I'm like, oh God, like I really hope no one throws any of these bracelets onto the court. Yeah. And so then second half, next thing you know, I, I look to my right in, in the back end student section, and that's where uh, Kolick's, you know, section was, I think, or they were near there. They were behind Marquette's bench. All of a sudden, I'm seeing bracelets rain all, all over the place. They're being thrown up. They're being thrown down, like up to the upper bowl. They're being thrown down from the lower bowl. I'm like, oh, my God. Classic Providence. Here we go. We're, we're, we're going to. Someone's going to slip on this on the court and we're going to get a tee. It's going to be a nightmare. And who was there to save the day? But AD Steve Knapp. I got to give him a round of applause for that because that was leadership. Okay. He gets on the mic. And I'm, by the way, I'm stunned this wasn't caught on the broadcast because it was like when we were in yeah, there. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't notice that or maybe I missed it when I was watching. I don't think it was announced on the broadcast though. So. It's so weird because it was all over the PA. Like, I'm stunned. You got it. Like, I watched the broadcast. It wasn't on there. Um, but he grabs the mic and he's just like, hey, he's like, this is Providence, Rhode Island. We are classier than this. No one throw another bracelet. 
Sure enough, it stopped. Uh, if, if, it, if it were true and it was like, hey, this is Providence, Rhode Island, the bracelets would have been thrown like 100x more. Like, let's call a spade a spade here. <laughs> Nobody goes into that building and is like, oh, yeah, this is like, a, you know, a Sunday sermon at church. <laughs> Certainly not. Um, and so, yeah, the, the bracelet throwing did stop. Uh, th- there were a couple of them went flying uh, at the end of the game. But I guess that's to be expected. Um, but, yeah, that just added to the, the PC Marquette mystique, if you will. Um, all right, so, you know, we've talked about we've talked about Crossbow. We've talked about Hopkins. Um, by the way, Kentucky fans, I think, are losing their minds uh, over Hopkins. It's, it's so nice. Um, I can't believe Cal Perry just didn't play yeah, Sometimes, like, the one and done, like, run them off, and, like, all he cares about is getting his guys to the league, like, yeah, it's great for optics. It's great for like brand value and stuff like that. Um, but it, it doesn't win championships. Like, are you telling me Hopkins right now wouldn't be there? Besides, imagine him and Shibway next to each other. What? Yeah, that would be insane. Instead, they went with uh, Jacob Toppin. But it's not like they went with him. Like, like, like they did though, because they played him a ton last year too. I know it. It's so it's silly though. Like. There needs to be something that, like, the, the stigma around, especially at Kentucky, and now it's like Duke, too. It's like, if you're not a one-and-done, you're a failure at that those programs. It is, it's like a snake eating its tail. Like, they've lost out on so, me- so much good upper-class talent because of that stigma. And they need, I mean, benefits us, right? But Yeah, I mean, but, but you Hopkins, are yeah, Hopkins right now, Hopkins, Hopkins right now should be a 12-8 a and eight player at Kentucky right now. He could probably be better than that, too. No, You know what I'm saying, though? Yeah, absolutely. He could have been that last year, I think. Yeah. If they played him good minutes. Um, but it, it, you bring up a good point, because, like, so Cal Perry has one title. He lost with the Boogie Cousins, Sean Wall team, which it still p- perplexes me. Like, those two guys were top players um, in the sport. For those um, for those who are, like, younger listening to this, like, Mike, Mike and I are probably showing our age a bit. Go watch John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins at Kentucky. Like, that was one – like, I remember we were in college. Like, John Wall, when he came out and did the John Wall dance, like, people probably don't even know about that, which just shows we're we're getting old. Like, dude, they revolutionized college basketball. It was so awesome. And, like, the fact that team didn't win – who did they lose those to Wisconsin? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Or was that Platoons? Platoons might have lost. That was Platoons. I forget. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think they went out early. Um. You think of the team with De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk, they got eliminated. Like, man. And then last year, they lose St. Pete's in the first round. So, yikes. Um, all right, but back to the game. Um, yeah, I thought Carter was awesome. Um, you know, able to get some steals. Went two of four from deep. Um, you know, he, he had that one turnover we already talked about. But other than that, he was nails in this game. Um, JB. Let's go. 16 points. Uh, he seemed you seem to get a swagger back a little bit. Dude, you could tell with his confidence, with his dribbling, it was back, man. Like, you're just like, where the hell has this been? Like, he was crossing guys up. He was getting his shot. He's still a little bit apprehensive about shooting. Like, there were a couple of them where I'm like, dude, you got to pull the trigger there. But it seems like he's back a bit. Is he back in the tune of, like, 20, 25 points a game in Big East play? I don't think so. But, um if he's going 10 to 15 points a game and is another weapon from deep and penetrating the lane, opens up the lanes for Croswell and Hopkins and Carter. It just opens up everything. Yeah. 
Um, you know, I think he's definitely starting to get his swagger back a little bit. He had that like step back three uh, that he hit. Um, you know, he goes three of eight from deep. Um, and you can tell by the body language. You, you know, you brought body language all year. And it was funny, the, the, not Lapis, but the other guy that was with him. I actually like that guy. I forget his name. But um, he was saying, like, you can tell by the body language that the Bynum's feeling he's back. Yeah. And, yeah, man, you definitely could. Um, so that was huge. I mean, so we had 16 points. Granted, I believe the last point he had was pretty late in the game. Or, excuse me, in, like, the middle of the second uh, half. Mm-hmm. So I don't think he scored in either overtime. But regardless, good to see Bynum bounce back. Um and then, you know, one flip to the other side, Cam Jones, I thought was good. I, I do agree with your critique that you had in the article there that you can kind of shoot you out of games. Um, he was three of 10 from three, uh, three. So that's not great, but he finished with um, 24 points. He's a crafty guy going to the hoop too. Um, I, I was impressed by him, but yeah, I, I think the seven missed threes definitely kind of hurt them a little bit. And on top of that, once Kolick went out, it was pretty much just him as the offense. And like you could tell they just weren't equipped to to win that game. Yeah. Um, when that happened. Um yet they had their chances. They had their chances because you know, they end up going up three late in the second overtime, and it was kind of a BS play, let me tell you. Because what ends up happening is Joplin drives to the hoop, slips and falls. Should have been a turnover, or should have been a travel, rather. Travel, yeah. Don't call it. He ends up getting up, sprinting to the corner for three. The other guy finds him. And Hopkins, who goes to close out, slips on on Joplin's sweat when he just fell on the ground. Well, dude, so Joplin gave it up to, I want to say it's Igodaro or Prosper. I think it was Igodaro. Igodaro traveled in the post, too. There were two travels in that sequence. He travels and then he kicks it over to Joplin again, like you mentioned. And Hopkins slipped because Joplin, Joplin fell on the ground. He slipped on his sweat. Yep. So, so they get a three point lead, and you know, all of a sudden starts to get nail biting time for Fire fans. But then that's quickly quelled by a monster three by Alan Breed. Uh, Breed was was solid in this game for sure. I uh, played thirty five minutes. Um, you know, Cooley exclusively went with him late in the second half and then throughout both overtimes over Noah Locke. And we can get to that in a moment. Um, you know, I thought, I thought Bree was good. I, I thought early in the game, oh my God, his first two shot attempts were like, what was going on with that? I don't Wait, know. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those weren't great. Cooley might've uh, been, Cooley might've been, te- might've been telling him to look for his shot a bit more, but who, that's not his, that's not his game. No. And then what I'll tell you is I, I didn't love how, you know, I, I get you got to rest Bynum a little bit. Bynum plays 41 of the 50 minutes. But it seemed like Bynum was off the court for a good chunk of that second half when Marquette ends up building their lead. Um, and I think from an offensive standpoint, at least I don't know about you, but I, I learned you can't have Reed be your main ball handler. I mean, maybe this would be good practice for him down the road. And I get that, but the offense seemed to really stagnate um, with him as the primary ball handler. Yeah. But, you know, don't want to take away for what he did 35 minutes, no turnovers. So that's good. Um, 
But uh, and he hit that clutch three. He hit a c- couple clutch free throws as well. Three assists. So he had a really good game. Um, I'm not going to deny that. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I think he's best suited to be a cold ball handler. I don't think he's a lead guard and the only guard out there. I think that's he's got a good handle. But I think especially in the Big East, like I wouldn't feel comfortable with him on the court for 35 minutes against Apoch Alexander, for instance. Yeah, and like you know, his passing—he can make good passes, like on the run. I feel like finding guys, but in the half court, I mean, there was one play where actually Bynum was on the court. I don't know if you remember this one, but they went zone and they had Bynum in the corner. He's got his hands up. He throws him this like really lofty pass. Like you got to know, Bynum's not that big. No, throws this really high pass. Bynum has to jump and catch it. Reset, shot clock running down. He hucks up a terrible three that, that misses. And, like, that was just like, oh, if you just made a clean pass there, you'd probably hit a three. Yeah. But, yeah, I know I'm being nitpicky, but it does bring up an interesting situation here. Now, it doesn't. It does. Um, because you brought up in the last recap, you're worried about the bench scoring. And I was kind of like, eh, well, you know, maybe it was just a matchup thing. But then here we go in this game. Breed, once again, the only one with points off the bench with 13. But if you think about it, Moore only had nine minutes. Pierre only had nine minutes. Uh, Castro played six minutes. Employed two. And none of them even shot the ball. So, I I don't know. It's weird. Because I thought Clifton Moore early in that game, I thought we were going to use him more. Because he looked like he was pretty well prepared for the pick and roll defense. I think he's more suited for playing against traditional big men. Like, I don't think he's good against, like, the undersized, but, like, really athletic big men, like a Seton Hall or a uh, Marquette. Like, I guarantee he gets his season high in Big East minutes against UConn. Interesting. We'll find out January 4th. Yes, we Um, will. But, yeah, so, I mean, obviously, Breed pretty much takes Locke's place in this game. Locke played 19 minutes, five points on two of seven. Uh, he had two turnovers. He also had a few plays where he got beat um, on defense. But so, so now I'm going to be open up to this idea now of maybe you make him six minutes. And maybe you do start break at the two. What are your thoughts? I would, I would keep it as is. Really? Yeah. And, and just see, like, okay, if Locke's hitting his shots – um, you, you you play him more, um, yeah. or if he's not playing well, you just play breed heavy Mets. Dude, I would just say if I'm, it seems like it seems like Cooley and Breed are like they're 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 just they're brothers. Like they get each other, they get each other in a way that I don't think most players and coaches get each other. Cooley has said many times like he doesn't ride any player harder than Breed, and he coaches the hell out of him because he knows Breed can take it. I think Cooley can be really transparent with him and say, hey, you probably deserve, like, the starting two spot. But look what Bynum did coming off the bench last year. He was, what, second team all Big East, right? Yeah. As sixth man, you can be the same thing. Like, and he's a steady – he's a steadying presence. He's a steadying presence for the younger guys. And it's not, like, how many – it's not who starts, but who finishes. And clearly, the best five includes Breed. And I think that goes without saying. I mean, that game for sure. Hard to argue that. Um, you know, looking at the Golden Eagles, though, quickly back to them. 
Iguodaro had his moments. I mean, he had 15.6 boards, but I, I thought he kind of got abused uh, by the guys down low. Um, dude, Prosper didn't play that well. Eight points, five boards on three of nine from the floor. He fouls out. Um, but let's go back to Joplin, man. He has a player. And to have him come off the bench for them, that's got to be nice. You know who he reminds me of? Oh. Uh, Boris Diaw. You don't see it? Big bodied, can sh- but but is a shooter. Yeah, I think Diaz a little bit more skilled, but it's not. It's I mean, not- obviously, isn't it? He was <laughs> like a 15 year NBA player, but yeah. uh, you got to see the similarities, BFC. Come on. Uh, yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> um, but he was a good player. Like, he, he actually brought more to the floor than I thought he would. I thought he was just like a knockdown shooter, and he actually. Again, he tied that game up going to double OT. That was a good uh, – he's a good little player. And I think this team this team is going to be good for a while. They have a lot of young pieces. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, absolutely huge win for the Friars. Sitting at 2-0 in conference play now. And they're 10-3. I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, BFC. But – you know, you look at this now in terms of a track for the NCAA tournament. They already have 10 wins, and they have 18 Big East games left and the Big East tournament. They put themselves in a pretty good spot here. Yeah, I think if they go 9-9 nine and nine the rest of the way, they're in. Yeah, uh, you might need a Big East yeah. win, Big East tournament win. But Yeah, but they, yeah. they have a scene hall win on the road. They just beat a ranked nationally ranked team at home. Um, their resume is coming. They don't have any bad losses. They now have two, two, one, one great win, one good win, no bad losses. Like their resume is looking, looking pretty solid. And again, you don't want to look too far ahead, but if they can win the next two, they're not only will they be in the tournament, they'll be ranked, (laughs) which I don't think any, I don't think anybody would say that going into big East play. No, not at all. Um, and yeah, I mean, Cooley kind of said that he's so proud of the way the team's kind of grown up the past month. And you see it, man. Like, you could tell the last two games against Cupcakes, instead of, you know, letting them hang around, they blew them out. And then they go to Seton Hall, get a gritty win, and then another gritty one on Tuesday night to Marquette. So, um, yeah, this team's finally come together. It makes me happy because I – I knew this group had talent, um, and to see it all kind of come together now is is definitely exciting. Um, all right, so Providence has got like 10 days off, I think. Their next game is Thursday at Butler. Um, by the way, I, I, not, not to give anything away, we'll have preview articles. We'll probably have another pot out before that, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, that game makes me nervous, for sure. Every game makes you nervous. No, I know, but like it's like you look at Butler, they draw UConn at home first, tough. They go to Creighton on uh, uh, shit Thursday. Yeah, yeah. So they're playing Creighton on Thursday at Creighton, and then they get PC at home. I think that's a good team. They have a good coach, although I, I do think you know. Uh, that mod's been out of the game for five years. Um, and, and we'll get more into Butler as it comes, but I don't know. 
at Hinkle, that game makes me nervous. I mean, we almost lost to them at Hinkle last year, and their team was terrible. Almost. So, almost. Almost. Good Dude, point. That's, the type of, that's the type of game you need to win, though, if you want to make the tournament. So, Yeah, man. I mean, because, like, so then you have that game, and then New Year's Day. The are, they at, are they at DePaul or are they at yes. Providence? So they're staying out in the Midwest. Yes. So, yeah, New Year's Day, you know, the tradition of playing at DePaul, the tradition of kicking the shit out of DePaul <laughs> at DePaul. Hopefully that tradition continues. I know we have lost there in the past, but I believe two years in a row now, or it was two in the last three, we played them on New Year's Day at DePaul and just blew doors. So, yeah, if they can get the, these next two going into the UConn game on January 4th, oh, mama. That's that'll be, be that'll be if that happens, it's it's probably number one seed versus 20, 20 seed or twenty ranked team. Yeah, I mean we'll have to see what happens to Purdue. Um yeah. See if they drop a game, but but it, I mean, Providence at twelve and three is absolutely ranked. They should be. I would hope. Um but yeah, I mean let's not get yeah. ahead of ourselves though. We have we no, can, no. <laughs> It's hard not to, though. I know. It's, it's hard not to when Hopkins goes for 29.3. Hop hips. Um, but, um, you know, UConn against Georgetown yesterday, I, I was falling in the arena on my phone, uh, checking in on that one. Um, Georgetown got a lead. UConn finally trailed in the second half, BOC. Dude, you, dude you, guys were, you guys were probably pre-gaming. Akoka Cook swatted Hopkins and put him square on his back. Hopkins? Or, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Hawkins. Hawkins. Oh, nice. Nice. Dude, he went up I wish it was Jackson, though. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. I, like, also, like, really quick rant. Like, why are why are people bad-mouthing a cook-a-cook like UConn fans? It's so trashy and, like, low-brow. Like, he joined, he joined Hurley's class when, like, he was trying to build a foundation at UConn. The only reason he left is because he was wanting more minutes. He was on too stacked of a team. Like, I'm okay with saying UConn is too stacked. Like, he wanted to find an easier path to playing time and get more minutes. Like, they should be saying thank you forever. Like, thank you for everything you did. Thanks for helping set the foundation and the culture. Instead, they're like, again, it's Andre Jackson, like, posting things of, like, videos of him dunking on him in practice. Like, dude, grow up. No, yeah. I mean, I, I was going to say, I, I believe he did get a standing ovation at, at the arena. I mean, I didn't watch the game, but that's what I saw on Twitter. But, yeah, there's a plenty of UConn fans out there doing that stuff. And it's not surprising, like you said, when a player, like the day that he decides to transfer, oh, I'm going to post me posterizing him in practice. Like, so obviously the fans are going to arrive with that. Which yeah. Is, yeah. It, it is very immature. I mean, don't get me started on Jackson. But uh, we got a long way out. Um, it, dude, when, ja- when, ja- when Jackson steps up, when he starts playing at Providence, just give him three feet. So just shoot. Just do, do it. Just do it. Just do what Michael Jordan used to said to Muggsy Bogues when he single-handedly broke his I, I can't say it on the pod, but Jordan said something to Muggsy Bogues and Bogues later said that it completely shattered his confidence for the rest of his career. <laughs> um, so yeah, I like Jack Jackson Jackson's a lot of talk. I want to see if he can back it up with Hopkins bodying him in the post. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll have plenty of coverage for that game. Don't you worry. Um, so around the league, yeah, UConn beats Georgetown. Xavier with a 73-70 win over Seton Hall. Seton Hall now 0-2 in Big East play. 
Um, we're recording this now. I'm tr- going to try and get it out ASAP tonight. Um, but you got St. John's and Villanova. That should be a fascinating game. I'm going to tune in that one, I think. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, Butler travels to Creighton. Um, then DePaul travels to Creighton on Christmas Day. Odd to have a college hoops game on Christmas Day, if you're asking me. But there you have it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so then, you know, a few other games you got seen all at Marquette. Uh, 27th, 28th, you got Villanova at UConn. That'll be UConn's final tune up before the province game. Uh, Xavier at St. John's, and then obviously PC at Butler um, the following Thursday. So, yeah, that pretty much uh, wraps it up. Do you have uh, anything else, BLC? No, man. Couldn't have asked for a better start to Big East play, that's for sure. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I do have a few things, though, like I normally do. First of all, I want to shout out to Bill. Uh, he's he's a, a avid listener of the pod. Saw him at Trinity post game. He was walk, rocking the Crier shirt, BOC. Oh yeah, right on. Oh That's yeah, awesome. Oh yeah. So uh, shout out to him. By the way, you can get your your Providence Crier podcast t shirt on the site uh, if you want it. Nineteen ninety nine. What a deal in this economy. I mean, seriously. Uh, but yeah, that was pretty cool. I had another guy come up to me, introduce himself. Um, says he's a big fan. So. Keep it coming, man. I'll be at the dunk. Um, I'm definitely going to the UConn game, and then the next ones are Saturdays, so I don't envision myself not going. So I'll be there. Mike does not shy away from praise, so keep lavishing him with <laughs> praise. He, he loves it. Um, he also loves Tall Boy, Bub Lights, so get him one of those. Or no, Modelo's. Modelo's, right? The, yeah, the, yeah. I mean, I, believe me, I, I do love my blue guys. Uh, don't get me wrong, but when it's game time, calls for a Tall Boy fighting spirit. A fighting spirit, there you go. So, yeah. That's all I got. <laughs> all right. Well, that's a wrap, Friar Tom. We'll see you later. See you guys. Cool. Man up in my city, I'm the truth, yo. David Duke when I'm way about a hoop, eh? Cross over, I might go to LEU. Heard they sleeping on me, well, let's take them back to school. PC, you know we on go, eh? Feel like AJ Reeves when I'm off that pick and roll, eh? Fall down, bounce back like Emmy Hope. I'm the alpha dog, Diallo. They was sleeping on me, that's what made me a savage. And he see me bumping, so we gon' let him have it, yeah. They don't want no static, we at the top just like the attic. This year we taking over March Madness. Man up in my city, I'm the truth, yeah.